This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. Hi. Before we get started on this week's bonus episode, I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge the recent wave of violence against AAPI folks in the U.S. Tragically, this country has a long history of racism and violence against these groups and against all people of color. But the Atlanta spa shooting and the other recent attacks against AAPI people in places like New York City have generated national media attention. And while it's a problem that has a long history, it has also been made worse by the pandemic. Research released by the group Stop AAPI Hate revealed nearly 3,800 incidents of violence and hate crimes against AAPI folks were reported over the course of the last year, which is significantly higher than the previous year. And, like everything else, it's an intersectional issue, with women making up about 68% of the reported incidents. Hearing about these events can make well-meaning allies feel helpless. But we're not. Fast Company has been reporting on ways that you can get involved and help, from places you can donate and volunteer, to how you can help build a more inclusive workplace for everyone. We'll put links to some of these stories in the show notes for this episode. This is The New Way We Work from Fast Company Magazine, where we take listeners on a journey through the changing landscape of our work lives and explain exactly what we need to build the future we want. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor, Kate Davis. On our last episode, we talked about the motherhood tax. It's where women see their pay and career opportunities take a hit when they become mothers, while men across industries see their pay increase when they become fathers. If you haven't already, I really encourage you to go back and listen to that episode because we get into why this keeps happening and how companies can address it. The high cost of childcare often keeps women out of the workforce, and the cost and availability of childcare has only gotten worse during the pandemic. Daycare for children under five costs more than college tuition in most states in America. We've talked about this cost before, most notably in our education series this past fall. This high cost often ends up being close to or more than the take-home pay of many parents. And thanks to the persistent gender pay gap, that parent is most often the mom. This means that more women are quitting their jobs or scaling back on their hours when they have children. On average, women lose around $11,000 a year, thanks to the gender pay gap, which also happens to be close to the average annual cost of childcare in the U.S. Of course, that's just the average. In some places in the U.S., like New York City and Washington, D.C., daycare costs more than $2,000 a month, which is more than many women make. But it hasn't always been this way. In fact, there was a time when the U.S. had universal childcare. Eighty years ago, the U.S. had a government-funded child care system for working parents. Congress passed the Defense Housing and Community Facilities and Services Act of 1940. This was in response to the demands of the defense industry leading up to and during World War II. 
the law funded public works, including child care centers in communities with defense industries. Families were eligible for child care for up to six days a week, including summers and holidays, and parents paid only the equivalent of just nine to ten dollars a day in today's dollars. During the less than 10 year run, these government run daycare centers served more than 100,000 children from families of all incomes. Subsidized childcare was needed because, as we know, for the first time in U.S. history, both men and women were being encouraged to enter the workforce. In 1940, when the law passed, only 28% of women were working outside the home. But by 1945, more than 34% of women were in the workforce. And the government realized that with two parents working outside the home, it was a social responsibility to provide affordable and high-quality childcare just as it's a social responsibility to provide free public school for older children. But aside from that, there was also the economic motivation for the government to subsidize childcare. It needed women in the workforce, just as the economy does now. You can probably guess what happened next. After World War II ended, the defense jobs dried up and women were largely forced out of the workforce. In fact, more than half the women who worked during the war left by the end of the 1940s. And with those jobs went the subsidized child care. It would be decades before Congress would pass another universal child care bill. In 1971, Congress passed the Comprehensive Child Development Act on a bipartisan vote. The act established a network of nationally funded, locally administrated child care centers that would provide education, nutrition, and medical services. Walter Mondale, who was a senator at the time, viewed the measure as the first step towards national universal child care. The centers would be open to all on a sliding scale basis, meaning that, unlike most child care initiatives we've seen in recent years, it would help ease the burden on child care costs for the middle class and poor families alike. The amount that Congress authorized for the program would have made a real difference. The lack of quality, affordable daycare is arguably the most significant barrier to full equality for women in the workplace. Despite early support from officials in his administration, President Richard Nixon vetoed the bill because conservatives worried that subsidized childcare would undermine traditional breadwinner, homemaker family structures. The veto also came as the Cold War raged when fears of a communist approach to social services were at their height. While some Americans might still associate social programs like universal health care and child care with something found only in socialist countries, these ideas have grown in popularity with younger Americans over the last several years. Polls have found that while 72% of voters over 50 and older don't support universal child care, most younger people do. And the cost of child care is a top concern for them. In fact, many millennials say that the cost of child care is the top reason for delaying or deciding against having children. Just as with paid leave, this is an issue that the U.S. trails many other countries. Many Scandinavian countries have long had national paid parental leave programs, as well as guaranteed child care for all children over a year old. But it's not just a smattering of Nordic countries that do. All the United States developed peers have far better paid parental leave policies, as well as generous child care benefits provided through a combination of government services, unions and employer funding. To put it in perspective, two earner families in the U.S. pay more than double for child care than almost every other country, including Germany, Australia, France, and Greece. 
In the 50 years since the Comprehensive Child Development Act was defeated, the issue of universal child care has never been brought up in a serious way until recently. President Obama did mention the issue, or parts of it, several times over his two terms, most notably in 2013 when he presented a proposal for a 10-year, $75 billion investment in universal pre-kindergarten for all four-year-olds. While that measure never passed, the investment would have been financed by a higher cigarette taxes, which meant political resistance, more than half of U.S. states have since raised their own funds for state government-funded pre-K. But while the option to take care of and educate children for one year before they start elementary school certainly has its advantages, a patchwork state-by-state system turns this sort of essential care into luck of the draw. It also does nothing for the first four years of a child's life. Universal child care was a top issue among the Democratic candidates in the 2020 presidential race. Senator Elizabeth Warren got out in front during the primaries by releasing a comprehensive plan for a universal public system, and Senator Bernie Sanders also later called for free full-time child care for all. President Joe Biden has included emergency provisions in the most recent stimulus bill that address both providers and parents. The Emergency Stabilization Fund helped child care providers in danger of closing stay afloat and offered a few thousand dollars in child care tax credits for some families. But it's not enough. On the campaign trail, Biden introduced a sweeping plan for universal preschool, affordable and accessible infant and toddler care, and a boost in wages for child care workers. But his recently announced $2 trillion American Jobs Plan includes money for roads, bridges, home health care for seniors, and measures to fight climate change, but it notably leaves off child care. Investing in childcare is crucial to keep women in the workforce, which has proved to be good for business. It's also imperative to the overall health of the economy. James Heckman, a Nobel-winning economist, found that for every dollar that a society invests in early childhood education and childcare yields over $10 in benefits when children grow up to become more productive members in the workforce. They also cost the state less in medical costs, special education, incarceration, and unemployment. Two federal economists concluded in a report that, quote, the most efficient means to boost the productivity of the workforce 15 to 20 years down the road is to invest in today's youngest children. And such spending would yield a much higher return than most government funded economic development initiatives, end quote. Universal childcare doesn't have to be the polarizing political issue that it's become. Most Americans would agree that it's important for women to stay in the workforce, that company profits and the economy grow, and that the next generation of workers grow up to be healthy and productive. There are plenty of viable individual solutions for each of those issues, but only one that's been shown to tackle all three, and it slipped through our fingers twice. Perhaps the third tries the charm. This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon. 
the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. And that's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to The New Way We Work wherever you listen. If you liked this episode, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. This episode of The New Way We Work was produced by Joshua Christensen. Thank you.